Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening, and welcome to the Logical Christian Podcast. I'm your Logical Christian, Dan Irwin. If you've joined me before, welcome back. If this is your first time here, welcome. At the Logical Christian Podcast, we look at what's going on in the world of current events, politics, science, and whatever the mainstream media feels is important to tell us, but rather than just accepting their spin and swallowing their narrative, we look at it logically, and we look at it as Christians. Links can be found in the show notes if you want to follow along. So with that, let's go be logical Christians. Alice Cooper, probably best known from his work on the 1992 Saturday Night Live spinoff movie Wayne's World, where he educated Wayne, Garth, and all of us at the proper pronunciation of the city of Milwaukee, Wisconsin, is Milwaukee, which is Algonquin for the good land. Also did a little singing thing, I guess maybe as a side gig? (laughs) Who knew? Anyway, one of his songs, School's Out, has the final lyrics... School's out forever, school's out for summer, school's out with fever, school's out completely. And that pretty much sums up this episode. I mean, if this is what school is churning out, maybe we should just stop going through the motions. How bad could it be to go back to our alleged history of living in caves, clubbing things, and grunting? We're seriously not that far away from that right now. So in the meantime, today we'll take a look at what happens when someone who... Or is it whom is supposedly educated, is given power by President, uh, uh, his boss, and gets his very likely moist hands on some data. Then we'll see exactly what paying for, well, borrowing for an education learns you, and finally we'll discover that there are literally people who take the phrase, and the children shall lead, seriously. So put your backpack in your locker, find a desk in the back, and throw your square pointy graduation hat thingy high in the air. But don't look up, you'll lose an eye, because I think I just heard the bell. Here we go. Let me tell you, the hits just keep on coming. We get hit with a pandemic of totally legitimate origin, and then for some reason the price of oil goes up. (laughs) No way to ever figure out what happened or when exactly that happened. And then as we're you know, cranking the money printers beyond anything they were designed for in order to give people money to not work and to totally fix every bridge in the United States because they're all crumbling and falling apart. (laughs) Out of nowhere, massive inflation. Oh, man. Not to mention all these hateful people that, you know, just feel their body is their choice and don't want to get a totally safe and super effective, uh, well, uh, let's say injection. And now this. From ABC News headline, U.S. road deaths rise at record pace as risky driving persists. I mean, I drive, so this totally affects me, and I am immediately invested in this totally legit story. So let's see what we've got here. Oh, and like I said, I'm using ABC for this one, but this story is pretty much everywhere out there. So, apparently, the number of U.S. traffic deaths, get ready for the dramatic language, surged from January through September 2021 with a total of 31,720. Well, I mean, not a total, but an estimated total. And if you can believe it, this is a 12% increase over the same period in 2020. 12%. That's a pretty big increase in deaths. In fact, it's the highest increase since 1975 when records started being kept, they say, and it's the highest number since 2006, they they say. Well, this is clearly tragic. 
Whatever could the cause be? <laughs> Let's read on. Maybe they'll tell us. So Pete Buttigieg, a booty, a booty, uh, <sighs> try that over here. Pete Buttigieg, the transportation secretary, <laughs> yeah, for the entire country, for some reason that I, I'm sure makes sense uh, to somebody uh, somewhere, uh, somehow found time to pop into the office in the midst of all that new father and, you know, that he made such a big deal about because nobody in the history of mankind has ever become a new father. And he declared that this is a crisis. And then he gave very practical, very simple solutions. But we'll get to that in a moment. Back to what happened. Well, the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration, or the NHTSA, said that reckless driving behavior during the pandemic caused numbers to start spiking. And what reckless driving? Well, speeding and not wearing your seatbelt. Before 2019, the numbers had fallen for three entire years, but then, boop, spike filled. Then they give some more data that's been spun more than cotton candy, like the first nine months of 2021 have 7,200 more deaths than 2011. So, you know, that means things. <laughs> Positive that it, it means things. Pete took his stand, though, with totally innocuous verbiage. People make mistakes, but human mistakes don't always have to be lethal. In a well-designed system, Safety measures make sure that human fallibility does not lead to human fatalities. That's what we will be doing for America's roads with the National Roadway Safety Strategy and the safe system approach that it embraces. Now, Petey went on to say that we've got to look at the entire system, including how we build roads. Okay, what does this strategy entail, you may ask? Well, over the next two years, the Transportation Department will provide federal guidance and, and not just the guidance, but also cash. Yep, cash prizes. Uh, billions, in fact, in grants to spur, or as you and I would probably call it, bribe, uh, quote, states and localities to lower speed limits and embrace safer road design, such as dedicated bike and bus lanes, better lighting, and crosswalks. The strategy also urges the use of speed cameras, you know, because that would be more equitable, yes, they said this, in comparison to those racist, racist cops. So if Pete is pushing for better lighting and crosswalks and bus and bike lanes, and he's going to be giving cash incentives and prizes to do such things, where do you think the cash is going? Well, this is going to go to typically Democratic states and or large Democratic cities. Do you seriously think that Pete or Puddinghead Joe would take tax dollars and give it to red states and cities? No. This will help to redistribute some wealth. You know, a major social justice goal. And come on, I know they want to push public transport. But outside of big cities, do most towns and cities around the country have enough buses to necessitate an entire lane? And can we speak about bike lanes for a second? Some of the scariest lanes anywhere, am I right? I get the point, and I know that Pete, in an effort to save the planet, bikes everywhere he goes once the SUV driver stops and unloads his bike for him, a block away from his press conference and or photo op. But I think we need to discourage bikes on main roads as much as possible, and unless some sort of barrier is erected between the real traffic and the bike lane... I personally hate them, my personal feeling. Uh, 
It's just one more distraction for drivers to have to keep track of, and I can barely keep track of what's already going on out there. And text while eating and searching Pandora while I'm talking to someone on the phone. Additionally, the speed camera idea is already illegal in 18 states, and they're not all red states either. So I don't see that going over too well. And lowering speed limits? Oh, thanks, but no. The speed limits have been systematically raised with the increased built-in safety in cars and the improvement of road design and road construction materials. Lowering speed limits, I'll be honest, will never work. Have you ever driven through Chicago? They have, believe it or not, actual speed limits of like 45 and 55, where if you're not doing 75, you're going to die. In your small towns and smaller interstates, sure, you'll catch some people speeding, but in reality, if you really think about it, the people set the speed limit. There's a general flow of traffic. Some go faster and some go slower, but you can reduce the speed on the interstate to 55. The general population will still tool along at 70 or 75. We all know that's true. Furthermore, I don't personally believe that we can just make a blanket statement that speed kills, much like a gun, a car, and speed is a tool. It's the user. In the past, I've exceeded the speed limit by large amounts and not been unsafe. And I've seen some people drive the speed limit or slightly less, and I was terrified to be anywhere near them. The problem isn't the speed, it's the driver. And lowering the speed limit slightly won't make a bit of difference. As for equity with these speed cameras, you know, I actually kind of want to try it. I want speed cameras in every blue state and every blue city that is throwing their police forces under the bus, a bus that doesn't even have its own lane to travel in, mind you, and I want to see the equity fly like a pride flag in a woke teacher's classroom. My suspicion, and I could be wrong, but I bet I'm not, if this is truly a human hands-off, automated ticketing system. I bet the inequity in ticketing continues or gets worse. I just have an inkling. If Mayor Pete gets his way, we might just find out. So looking at what Pete was told to say, Pete is the definition of a post-turtle, by the way, and what's a post-turtle, you ask? Well, you can look up the full joke. The link is in the notes, but it's a turtle on top of a fence post. He didn't get up there on his own. He definitely doesn't belong there. He has no idea what to do up there. And you really just want to help the stupid fella get down from there. And that's who Pete is. So looking at what they told him to say, I can say that his solutions will never work. But the solutions are at the end of the root cause investigation. We need to back up and take a look at what they say the problem is and then determine if they're right about the problem before we just dump billions of dollars into fixing something that doesn't need to be fixed. Now, over my career, I've led root cause investigations that I had to stop people from coming straight in and offering solutions to problems we think we have. And many times I've had to clean up the knee-jerk reactions to perceived problems that either did nothing or made things worse. So let's check to see if the actual data is telling us that we have a massive increase in unsafety. The first claim that's made is that the number of U.S. traffic deaths surged from January to September of 2021 to 31,720 estimated, which was 12% higher than January to September of 2020. Do y'all remember especially the period of like March to December of 2020? 
the roads were basically empty. We had a little fun thing going on that was totally needed and totally legit called a lockdown. Now, don't get me wrong, I worked from home for like a year and a half and it was glorious. But the reality is the travel numbers were way, way down. In fact, if you look at the TSA security checkpoint numbers, which is largely the number of people flying for the period of January to September 2020, it was down by 61% as compared to 2019. And 2021 was still down 36% as compared to 2019 for that period. But if you compare only 2020 and 2021, 2021 went up by 67%. Now, I know that this isn't driving numbers. This just shows the scope of how shut down we were. People were not traveling. Okay, so moving to driving. The swing isn't as dramatic, obviously, because people still had to do basic necessary driving. I would probably guess that more of these miles were short distance. Maybe a lot of them were things like Uber or other local delivery services. And with such a dramatic drop in flying, you know that some of those miles had to transition to driving as you simply cannot do everything over Zoom, <laughs> regardless of what they tell you. Not to mention the massive number of, of home deliveries, meaning more semis, were delivering more goods, think Amazon, right? Admittedly, I don't have any specific data to quantify any of this, but this seems logical to me. You can feel free to disagree if you have other ideas or, or any data. So what do we see? Well, and you can check my math. The links are in the notes for all of these numbers. It appears that when you compare the miles driven between those two time periods, 2021 surged in identical 12% of miles. So we see a 12% increase in miles driven and a 12% increase in traffic deaths. Somehow, that seems somewhat logical. Their next claim is that it's the highest increase since record-keeping started in 1975. Well, let's take a look. And let me point out that I'm looking at data for the full years, not just the nine-month period that they talked about. When you look at the actual numbers of deaths, it appears that a 12% increase in deaths year over year is, in fact, the largest since 1975. They also said that the number of deaths is the highest since 2006. So assuming that they did the calculations to figure out the predicted number of deaths for a full year based on the estimated 31,720 for the first nine months, that's what I did too. And it comes out to a number of 42,293 projected deaths. And that must be what they did because yes, the total annual deaths for years 2002 to 2006 are higher than the projected for 2021. But after 2006, all the way up until 2021, the numbers are lower. But do either of these measures tell the entire story on their own? Well, they tell a story, but they aren't using statistics or math properly. See, there's a time to use percent and a time to use the actual value and a time when you need to use math to remove other variable data in order to get a true picture. We can always try to compare things, but we have to make sure we compare accurate things and compare them accurately. In this case, we have a number of variables and that's ignoring the pandemic lockdown year of 2020. We have number of deaths and we have number of miles driven. And inside of both of those, we have a lot of other variables, which I'll get into shortly. In this case, to calculate your base starting number, you need to calculate how many deaths with regard to how many miles driven. When doing that, we see a 4% drop in the rate of fatalities from 2020 to 2021. 
Now, to be transparent, from 2000 to 2019, we saw an average decrease in this fatality rate of about 1.66% per year, and then a rise from 2019 to 2020 of 24.6% for that one year. So yes, there was a dramatic increase in the pandemic year. And I keep saying pandemic year because that is a significant event that can have all sorts of far-reaching implications. As for 2020, that fatality rate is lower than years 2006 and prior. So what do we take from this fatality rate? Well, it could be of concern. We don't actually know. And that's because of the pandemic year. Keep in mind, one data point, which is what we have, is a blip. Two data points, which is coming into more of a focus, should cause you to take notice, but not necessarily act yet. Three data points is the indicator of a trend developing one that needs to be addressed if it's trending in the wrong direction. But is 2020 a valid data point? Well, yes and no. The numbers are there and the numbers are accurate, but as I keep saying, the fact that it was a pandemic year is significant. We simply have no way to calculate an unusual year of this magnitude. But even the numbers we know still don't take into account everything that goes into this kind of data. At this point, we could probably pull data as to what kind of miles were driven in 2020 and 2021, and how did they differ from other years? What portion were highway miles, in-town miles, miles primarily close to home? Were they primarily driven by delivery drivers or over-the-road truckers, or were they by average smucks like me? We'd also want to know the breakdown of fatalities. I know that the NHTSA says that they were primarily speed and seatbelt related, but even in that data, there are breakdowns. Speed, meaning what? Speeding in town, speeding on the highway, high-speed pursuits. Speed in itself can't cause an accident, and it doesn't kill anyone. Speed is nothing more than a measure of how much time it takes you to cover a set distance. The accident and potential fatality comes into play when speed is combined with something else. Poor conditions, stupid moves, not paying attention. What exactly happened in these deaths? How many fatalities out of these were DUI type of fatalities? And the list of data-driven questions goes on and on. You'd have to really dig into that data in order to determine where the differences lie between 2020 to 21 and previous years. Now, finally, human factors are a huge variable that you can never discount unless you completely automate everything. And of course, then there are things like glitches or hacking to worry about. But Due to the pandemic year of 2020 and then moving into 21, the human factors may have a massive role to play in these fatalities. Unless we dig in, we won't know. But for instance, how many people were driving while feeling ill? How many were driving with a mask getting in the way? How many were tired, distracted, or how about this, stressed? Anyone else feel a slightly higher stress level through this pandemic? How about so many people being locked down in 2020? Is it possible that these people were making silly mistakes, not paying attention as they were starting to drive again because they were kind of rusty, out of practice? Were people taking stupid chances because the roads were more open due to less traffic? As you can see, when you get someone like PD the Wonder Gig that gets up there and says numbers, they don't know what they're talking about, and most of them wouldn't have a clue that they have incorrect, faulty, or incomplete data, and most of them don't care. They have an agenda. What's Pete's agenda? Well, he says that it's to have a goal of zero traffic-related deaths, but that's not his goal. As I said, the only way you can even start to approach zero is to automate 
everything. This would mean fully automated vehicles and likely they'd be public transport more often, like the old iron horse that Joe wants to bring out of the 40s, the, the 1840s, to today. You know, rail everywhere, because how great would it be to just ride the rails everywhere you go? Yeah, Mayor Pita isn't pushing to cut fatalities. He's pushing to cut you. He can't be that dense. Okay, I'm, I'm probably going to regret making this claim. He can't be that dense to literally believe that human beings who are faulty operate machines that can fail in spectacular ways, will ever get to zero fatalities. No, no, no. He's got other plans for sure. Now to wrap this up, I would not expect any of you to do this kind of dive into the data, but to let you in on a little bit of me, regardless of this podcast, I probably would have looked into this like this on my own anyway, because I'm a nerd. These kind of articles fascinate me because they sound authoritative. The speeches, the data, the write-ups, they're all written to sound like they've got their hands around the problem, but all they have is their hands around an agenda. I've said before, you can give me any data set. I can give you 10 different conclusions. They'll all be accurate, and they'll all contradict each other. Data is simply numbers. Interpreting data is an art. In the wrong hands, or in a pair of agenda-driven hands, You get what Pete, the NHTSA, and ABC News is pushing out to you, the, as they see you, mouth-breathing public. From a Christian perspective, I have one verse that comes to mind right off. And no, it's not, thou shalt not lie, although that would definitely apply if they know that what they're saying is faulty, inaccurate, or incomplete. No, I think of Proverbs 11.1. A false balance is an abomination to the Lord, but a just weight is his delight. This is akin to data. When we cook the books, when we falsify the data by either corrupting it or not fully analyzing it, when we use false weights on the scales, this is an abomination to the Lord. In the Hebrew, the word translated as abomination means it's disgusting, it's unclean, it's wicked. The same word is used in Leviticus to describe homosexual relations and again uh, to describe the Sodomites in 1 Kings. So you can get an idea of how detestable the idea of lying about measures and in this case knowingly misrepresenting data for your own gain is to God. I saw this kind of thing all throughout the pandemic. If you want a fun afternoon, go look up articles reporting the COVID information. You'll find they swap from an absolute value to a percentage to a ratio and back and forth and forth and back constantly. I followed a lot of the numbers that they presented and this is what they're doing. They're using a false balance in order to manipulate you into believing what they're selling you. They use the number that most clearly makes you afraid, that most accurately pushes their agenda, and that's all they're doing. Be very wary about this anytime you see numbers being thrown around as definitive proof that XYZ needs to happen. And remember, honesty is always the best policy and not an abomination to the Lord. The era of COVID has been interesting for everyone, and yes, I'm well aware that that's a gross understatement. The initial uncertainty is we were told there would be mass death. The foolish among us who actually believe that in 15 days we'd be back to normal. The forced masking, the barbaric policies that isolated our elderly and hospitalized, the mass amounts of distrust for one another. Many people lost their jobs. Many learned how to work from home. 
Many families have lost loved ones, many have endured severe illness, and many are still dealing with the after-effects. The fight between approved treatments and alternative treatments, the debate between naturally created versus lab-created, and the ever-growing list is seemingly endless. Economically, many people, whether they lost their job or not, whether they lost their business or not, have had extreme financial difficulties, something they never planned on. Agree or not, a variety of government assistance programs and policies were hastily enacted in order to help, but as with everything the government touches, actual execution of these programs has been slow, plotting, and generally ham-fisted. One economic program put in place to help actually did what it was designed to do, immediately, because the government didn't really have to do anything. They just had to not do something, which is what they excel at anyway. And despite that, they still actually screwed it up and had to fix some things. What program is this? Why, the you-don't-have-to-pay-your-federal-student-loans program. Regardless of if you had a job or not, regardless of your income, regardless of anything, just a blanket order of you don't have to pay and don't worry, interest won't be accrued either. And if you were delinquent in your payments, no problem there either. All the collection calls and letters stopped also. Yep, this was just an entire pause. You didn't even have to opt in. You were automatically optatized. Now, if you wanted to continue paying them, that's fine too, but, but come on. This is like free money, right? You don't got much for brains, do you? And that seems to be the problem. Headline from CNBC.com. 93% of student loan borrowers aren't prepared to restart payments, survey finds. So the moratorium was put in place by Donald Trump back in August of 2020 to give borrowers a break from payments for three months. Of course, that's been redone and redone and redone, to the point that it's now coming up on May 1st, 2022, which will be doomsday, the day borrowers have to start paying back money they've borrowed based upon the unfair, manipulative, and predatory agreement that they agreed to, which was, you know, to pay back the money they borrowed per the terms of their agreement. The survey asked more than 23,000 borrowers, which is a massively large survey as compared to most you'll find, and 93% said that they just aren't ready. Of course, they have a few anecdotal personal stories in the article because that's how you garner emotional support and get people to side with something, by tugging at the old heartstrings. Luckily for me, my heartstrings snapped years ago like an over-tightened E-string on a guitar. Ping! Ah, no, that's not exactly true. I legitimately feel for many people with very real life changes and scenarios that are affecting them now that they didn't have back then. But I also see these personal human interest stories for what they are, emotional manipulation. So what exactly is about to happen to all of these people? Well, nothing bad, to be honest, because there was a pause on everything. The payment amount should be the same, the interest rate is the same, the terms are the same. There are still processes for hardship deferrals, income-based and interest-only payments, and debt dismissals based on very specific criteria. Nothing has changed. Eh, well, almost nothing. As this article points out, the cost of living has shifted fairly dramatically. You, You probably couldn't tell. The inflation rate, the amount your cost of goods goes up year over year, is up 7.5%. 
that's the highest it's been in over 40 years, which, oddly enough, brings us right into that sweet, sweet Jimmy Carter era. And that's the official number. But as with everything, the way we calculate things has changed over time. So luckily, there's a little website called ShadowStats that shows a lot of data as it stands today, the official numbers, and the numbers if they were still using the same method that we had used in the past. When you calculate the inflation rate today like it was calculated in 1980, it turns out our inflation rate would be about 16% slightly higher than it was in 1980 under the Carter regime. 16%. Do you realize what that means? Looking at it very basically, it means that your dollar a year ago is worth 84 cents today. President Joey Bagapudding has maintained that if you made under $400,000 per year, you wouldn't be taxed another dime. But inflation is a hidden tax. Your taxes have skyrocketed 16% as compared to last year. Unless, of course, you're one of those very lucky zero people that don't buy things. So yes, for some people, this would absolutely make paying back any loan more difficult. But 93% of people? That seems high, doesn't it? It seems like more than a massive inflation rate would be the cause of. So we can add in people who have had illness, COVID or otherwise, and that that impacts their financial situation, job losses, things like that, and and I still find it hard to believe we're at 93%. So what is going on here? One of the very real problems is that we're a consumerism-driven society. We like stuff. And if we have to pay money, we want something tangible for our money. We're okay with borrowing through loans or credit cards or even payday lenders if we have something right now for our money, and if we can afford the monthly payment, of course. But when it comes time to pay off the debt and you don't get anything but a slightly lower outstanding balance number as your reward for clicking submit, that's not satisfying at all. There wasn't even a little party favor gift or a woohoo way to go soundbite. Just a cold, impersonal payment submitted screen. So we spend to get. And I know this very well. I've been in very high, or at least very high from my perspective, consumer debt, not to mention a mortgage and student loan. It took a long time, many years, practicing Dave Ramsey-ish. Yes, I know he's not a fan of ish, but look, I'm being honest here. And with the blessing of a good job, perseverance, and the debt snowball, I've been able to pay it all back and get down to just a reasonable mortgage. Not being affected by COVID or job loss, you have no idea how grateful I am for those blessings in my life. And I knew that when I borrowed the money, it was my responsibility to pay it back. I didn't like that part. But I budgeted, planned, and little by little, I did. A survey in January 2022 found that only 44% of Americans would be able to pay a $1,000 emergency expense out of pocket with no cards, no borrowing. That's not great. $1,000 isn't really that much money in the world we live in today. And yes, I know that for some people, for some families that are struggling to make ends meet every month, $1,000 would dramatically change their lives. I get that. But not for 93% of student loan borrowers. Surely not for that many. 
Furthermore, according to a report from June 2021 about savings data in 2019, the average household savings in the bank at that time was $41,600. You may think that sounds crazy. That's a good-sized chunk of cash in the bank for most people. But that's the average. Looking further, the median household bank balance was $5,300. What this says is that 50% of households have less than $5,300 in the bank. And if 44% said they couldn't cover $1,000, I think that $5,300 in the bank number must drop off real sharply. Now, we as a society are clearly not in a good position. We're addicted to stuff. We're obliviously walking through life thinking that things will always be fine. Nothing will ever change. We have short memories, and we're more than happy to find other ways to spend our free money. We fail to plan and look ahead, even to figure out what upcoming bills are out there, and because of this, we are where we are. Of course, no doubt Biden is currently in deep reflection, contemplation, crunching numbers, balancing budgets, negotiating contracts, writing proposals. <laughs> LOL, just kidding. But some of his handlers and overlords are most likely going to extend this pause yet another three months, kicking the can down the road again until August, which will put us right on the doorstep of three years. And shoot, if we can go three years without people paying back their loans and be in such a stellar financial shape as a country... Well, why should they have to pay back their loans at all, right? I mean, we don't want people to feel bad, to realize there are consequences to actions or contractual obligations or honor in keeping your word. We want them to be temporarily happy so they'll vote for Dementia Joe again because he gives them stuff, free stuff. And let's not forget that student loan forgiveness was one of Biden's central platforms all those people that borrowed too much money to go to a college that charged them way too much, to get a degree with little to no use, to get paid a wage that makes no sense as compared to the debt they heaped on themselves, all those people want Joey to just cancel their debts because life is hard and it's not fun paying debt. Plus, he's got Mr. Ed, <laughs> I mean AOC, screeching at any camera and microphone she sees that JoJo the idiot circus president must cancel and forgive all student loan debt because she has student loan debt, and she doesn't want to pay it back either. The reality is, for some of the 93%, if they actually budgeted and cut out the garbage from their spending, they'd be able to pay it off just fine. For others... The job market for part or full-time employment is unbelievably large right now. There are jobs everywhere to fit every time frame, every ability. Even a 15-hour-per-week Uber or delivery driver job would pay at least $500 per month that could go to the loan bill. The Bible is very clear. You borrowed it, you have an obligation to pay it back. Looking at the very base concept in play here, if someone signs a contract, that contract is binding. If that person then later reneges on the contract, they are a liar and a thief. They lied about promising they paid it back. They're a thief because they stole money that didn't belong to them. That would be enough, but the Bible goes more in depth. Proverbs 22.7 says, The rich rule over the poor and the borrower is slave to the lender. That doesn't sound so good. Psalm 37.21 says in part, The wicked borrows but does not pay back. 
that doesn't sound good either. I mean, Jesus himself tells us in Matthew 6.24 that we cannot serve both God and money. We can't hold up money as our idol. And Solomon said in Ecclesiastes 5.5, it is better that you should not vow than that you should vow and not pay. And when removing from the 93%, those with true, definable hardships, not just that they didn't think about it, didn't plan, didn't realize, didn't care, we likely have the majority that honestly has the ability to pay back debt they agreed to pay back. They just didn't plan or think they'd have to. But the Bible again says in Proverbs 6, Go to the ant, O sluggard, consider her ways and be wise. Without having any chief, officer, or ruler, she prepares her bread in the summer and gathers her food in harvest. How long will you lie there, O sluggard? When will you arise from your sleep? A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest, and poverty will come upon you like a robber, and want like an armed man. Too many people have had a little sleep, a little slumber, for nearly three years now. They have not been wise, preparing themselves for this day of reckoning, almost three years after the pause was first enacted. Once again, disconnection from the Bible, disconnection from laws, morals, ethics, and principles that God put in place results in what we've now got. A few generations that don't think their word is their bond, who have no problem with coveting and taking if it benefits them, and who feel that if they scream loud enough, they'll get their way. There was a time when you had to suck it up and accept the consequences for your actions, but apparently not anymore. Speaking to the Christian, Christian, in a world of dying, desperate, lost people, be an example. Be a beacon that says, telling the truth matters, and making a vow carries weight. I know that some of you have very real hardships, I understand, and by all means, take advantage of the legal processes and programs that can and will help with that. There is absolutely no shame in doing so. But for the rest of you, be honest, be ethical, be a Christian. Don't get caught up in the sinful schemes of this world. Repay your debt. The Bible doesn't promise you prosperity or any other blessing by doing this. God doesn't promise you wealth for being honest. But that's not the reason we follow Christ in the first place, is it? We pay what we promise to pay because we promise to pay it. And that's the honest the right, and the God-honoring thing to do. Have you ever heard the phrase, perception is reality? It's a phrase that's been around for a long time, one of which I've used many, many times before. Unfortunately, it's a kind of shorthand version of what should be said in order to convey the entire meaning of the phrase. And when someone who doesn't understand that fact gets their fingers on the phrase, the actual meaning is completely lost on them. This, of course, causes the phrase to be understood incorrectly, which can make for a funny video as you watch the confusion on their face slowly being replaced with the realization that they've been using it wrong all these years. However, when that individual is in a position of power and is using it incorrectly in order to push policy, bad things can happen. And the question has to be asked, what is a person doing in a position of power, a policy-affecting position, 
if they can't understand the actual meaning of a simple phrase. Keep this question in mind, I'll answer that in a minute. I think you'll be pleasantly surprised. But before we proceed any further, let me clear up any confusion with regard to this phrase. The phrase perception is reality would be more accurately stated as something like your personal perception of a set of data or a given situation affects your personal perception of reality despite the existence of real reality. You can kind of see why we shorthand something like this. In other words, no matter how you see the world, truth is truth. Case in point, a saying or riddle dating back at least 200 years in a variety of forms with a variety of attributions goes something like this. If I call a sheep's tail a leg, how many legs does the sheep have? The answer is four. It doesn't matter what you call the tail, it's still a tail, and the sheep only has the four legs. But we are not living 200 years ago, we are living now. And the idea that my perception is in fact real reality is a very postmodern view of the world, and we'll come back to that in a second. So found on nationalreview.com, headline, Maryland School Board Member Argues Mask Mandates Should Be Extended, Quote, Regardless of Efficacy, Quote, Perception is Reality. The gist of the article is this. A school board meeting was held at the end of February, and at least one topic, and judging from the past two years, probably one of the major topics, was removing the mask mandate for children of the public schools in the county. Counties and states across the country have been in the process of relaxing and removing mandates, and at the time that this was written, the CDC was rumored to be coming out with data to say that most people could stop wearing masks, and evidence has been, is, and will continue to mount, showing the absolute ineffectiveness of an ill-fitting piece of cloth draped across a face against a virus. And speaking personally, as someone that has plenty of filtration experience, I could easily argue that even the N95s that are touted as the best option do virtually nothing. I'll defer that conversation to a later date. Additionally, data is starting to pour in that shows the very detrimental developmental effect masking babies, toddlers, and children is having, resulting in underdeveloped muscle tone, increased speech issues, and basic problems like drooling. This is on top of the known health risks by covering your breathing orifice for hours on end, rebreathing all of that bacteria that you were designed to exhale away from you. And not the final, but the final issue I'll mention, the increase in depression and anxiety in general, but especially seen in children, having gone two years being told that if they remove the mask, they'll kill grandma or not seeing the faces of others. The issues and ineffectiveness known by many two years ago is starting to be slow-rolled out there to the public because if they just came out and said, just kidding, masks do nothing, people would lose their minds. The point is that the evidence has become overwhelming to the point that the very mask-loving CDC and the power-grabbing bluest of blue states are all capitulating and removing mandates. And this is not to mention, although I guess I am mentioning it, COVID is statistically not a concern for kids. Like at all. Like, not in the least. But Hannah O'Looney, 
I'm not joking, that's actually her name, wasn't having it. Data be, uh, darned. <clears throat> Continuing the mask mandate has nothing to do with facts. In the meeting, she said, quote, The last thing I want is for schools to be a source of anxiety for our students, and it feels like making masks optional because of all the messaging, especially at the beginning of the pandemic, that my mask not only protects me, it protects my community. I... Okay. She continued, quote, that's still a lingering sentiment regardless of what data says. Perception is reality for students and families. I'm really afraid that if we get rid of the mask mandate, it's going to cause a lot of fear for our students and families. Well, let's break that down just a little, shall we? So she doesn't want school to be a source of anxiety for students. Okay, good. Look, I agree with that. It would be nice if kids could enjoy their school experience. The assumption here is that forcing masks has no effect. Only the unmasking would cause a problem. I'd also have to wonder what causes more anxiety. Masks, removing masks, or tests? Should we remove all uncomfortableness and ensure ease? Or should we teach kids how to be stronger than their environment and temporary situations? She comments that the messaging for a very long time has been that your mask protects me, my mask protects you, which makes me ask the question, and it did a year and a half ago, why not just flip your mask around? Then the apparently one-way mask will protect you. But I digress. Okay, she's correct. The powers that be definitely propaganda abundantly proclaimed the message that masks are the only thing that can save us all from certain extinction. You don't want grandma to die, right? But that's where we stop with anything in her argument that could be considered even remotely close to fact-based. We move on. She feels that removing masks would cause anxiety. There's lingering sentiment, regardless of data, that masks work. Perception is reality for students and families. And she's afraid removing masks will cause a lot of fear for students and families. Now, regarding all of these feelings, as that's what they are, they're just feelings, I'd say, why do I care what you feel, Ms. O'Looney? Give me a good reason as to why your feelings should dictate the lives of children and usurp the authority of parents. I would suggest that maybe it would be better to educate children and parents about the reality of data, the importance of facts, and the importance of strength and resilience and humanity. I mean, this is a school, right? Eh, but maybe that's just me. So, I had a question I told you to keep in mind just a few moments ago. Do you remember? The question is basically, why is someone in a position of policy-affecting or policy-making power when she can't understand the difference between perception and reality? Well, I was positive positive that Ms. O'Looney would be a gray-haired hippie throwback, as I've seen so many of this adamant, illogical opinion that fit that description. But nay, Ms. O'Looney is a senior in high school, and yes, she's an elected school board member with full voting rights. And why? Because Montgomery County in Maryland is one of two counties that allows an elected student to have full voting rights on the board. When she candidated for this position, she had a few issues that she wanted to address. The first, lack of diversity. 
<sighs> Unfortunately, 72% of the staff for the county public school system are whiteies. But white breads only make up 24% of the student body. Additionally, Ms. O'Looney, and I can't say that enough, is an Asian American and apparently feels that the most important thing about her is her Asianness, and she, quote, does not feel represented in our curriculum. That's because all curriculums are, quote, really taught from a straight, white, male, heterosexual, American, native, English-speaking perspective. That to her is apparently not only offensive, but also her reality, as it is her perception. I'm positive she came to this conclusion all by herself, you know, by evaluating the curriculums and not by listening to the corporate media and leftist mouth breathers. Oh, and she's all for anti-racism also, which we won't go into here, but it's basically saying that white, Jewish, or Christians are all as evil as can possibly be, and can never do anything right, and can never not be racist, and need to atone continuously and eternally for their apparent sins. And it's also built on Marxism. So, <laughs> anti-racist. One of the most racist worldviews in existence today, as it turns out. Her other issue was, drumroll, COVID and the opening of schools safely with a lot of mental health support on hand and increased, quote, leniency in deadlines and due dates and assignments and grades and attendance. <laughs> uh, yeah, you see where she's coming from, right? I'm curious if she's got a, uh, a Rachel Maddow poster, like, directly above her bed so she can, you know, pray directly to her as she drifts off for the night, or or if it's just on her wall. Now, when I was Ms. O'Looney's, and that can't be stressed strongly enough, age, I absolutely knew everything as well. I'm happy to say that I wasn't on the leftist wingnut side of things, as even then I was heavily based in logic rather than fantasy, but trust me, I knew everything. But the reality is, as most everyone discovers as they get older, I knew very close to nothing. And Ms. O'Looney, this needs to be said as much as possible, also knows very little, very close to nothing. She should not be a voting member of a school board, flat out. Now, this may be an unpopular opinion. I literally don't know anymore as I'm seeing more and more parents and adults, both Christians and non-Christians, holding their little angel up as God's gift to the world, as the smartest human to ever live, as so very, very wise. Personally, I feel that kids should be given ever-increasing level of responsibility and, and decision-making, but there are limits, and to focus my comments on this article alone, this child should not be in a position of affecting policy for other children. She simply does not have the wisdom to do so. She may understand her perception of her lived experience and her feelings in school, but she is not wise. She may be smart, but she is not wise. She may talk to a lot of kids. She is not a parent. She has not garnered that hard-earned wisdom yet. Ms. O'Looney and I... No, I'm, I'll stop. Ms. O'Looney is a postmodern. She is of a group of generations, recent generations, that have embraced a philosophy that has gained in popularity since the end of the 20th century. A philosophy that states in very base terms, my truth is truth, and your truth is also truth. Put simply, if you call a sheep's tail a leg, it's a leg. And not just a leg, but a fully functional, identical leg. And that sheep is a five-legged sheep. But if it's a tail to you, that's cool too, whatever. 
Unfortunately, Ms. O'Looney and millions upon millions of others, of especially the younger generations, are caught up in this satanic lie. Christians and non-Christians are affected by this. Don't believe me? Go ask your kid, or ask a kid in the church, if Jesus is the only way to be saved. Go ask them if those that believe in Islam or Buddhism will also be saved and go to heaven. Go ask them if people that believe in other religions are wrong. You will very likely be shocked at the replies you get. I say this is satanic because what did Jesus say? I am the way, the truth, and the life. The truth. That implies that there is a single truth. But for so many these days, truth isn't truth. Perception, emotions, feelings are truth. And no matter what truth that is, no matter how it conflicts with reality, they honestly believe that their truth is truth. But this breaks down in the real world. If my truth is that a red light doesn't apply to me, it ends with me killing either myself and or someone else. If my truth is that the $500 leather jacket is $20, guess who's not walking out with that jacket? Well, well, I mean, in some states you can, but that's because those states are run by a bunch of fools that also don't believe in truth. If my truth is that I don't like paying taxes so I don't have to, well, that ends up with me in prison. If my truth is that I'm not a man, I'm actually a woman. Well, no matter what I do, if my chromosomes are analyzed, if my skeleton is exhumed, medical science and archaeology says that the evidence shows I'm a man. And if study after study shows, and principles of filtration dictate, and industrial hygienists prove that masking against a virus doesn't and can't work, the truth is... We've been duped into following useless and somewhat dangerous practices to the point of being brainwashed. And the examples of how your truth falls flat in the face of true truth is infinite because you can't subvert true truth. Now, I could spend the next five hours easily going over the many verses in the Bible that talk about truth. We know that the truth will set you free. We know that we must worship God in spirit and in truth. We know that Jesus himself stated that God's word is truth. Jesus many, many times started speaking with, Truly, truly, I say unto you. Paul tells us that exchanging God's truth for a lie leads to impurity. We're told to rejoice in the truth. And on and on and on. One of the Ten Commandments, one of the Big Ten, is to not lie. Are you getting the idea that God cares deeply for the truth because he is literally perfect truth? We are being bombarded with untruth daily, hourly even, with artificial intelligence, deep fakes, and the prevalence of postmodernism. We are being told that what we always knew to be true is now up for debate. We're also told that not only is your personal truth actually truth, but that it's good and right to have your own personal truth. That is, unless your truth happens to offend someone else's truth. And that truth happens to be something that's being pushed and accepted by the woke mob, then you better shut up and keep your truth to yourself, regardless of if it's true truth or not. You don't want to be canceled, do you? So what do we do? And when I say we, I'm speaking to the Christians out there. Well, we hold on to the truth found only in God's word. We don't let go. We know the world will hate us because it hates Christ. And no matter how much we try to be presentable and inviting to the lost world, unless we compromise or get rid of that truth, they just aren't going to be our friend. Unfortunately, we see a lot of churches these days compromising in order to be 
presentable and inviting and to make those friends and fill those seats. In fact, those who have not been granted eyes to see and ears to hear by God will look at the truth in God's word and consider it foolishness. You need to understand that. There is real truth. There is real data, real facts, real science, true truth, and we must cling tightly to that like a drowning man clings to a life ring. Without knowing the truth, God's word being that truth, we will not be set free. We will exist in the bondage and mired in the impurity that we're seeing so many people trapped in today. So regardless of the woke mob, regardless of the cancel culture, regardless of the threats, regardless of the vitriol, we need to continue to be that shining city on a hill, that beacon and lovingly, but firmly and unwaveringly proclaim the true truth of the gospel. That is literally the only way to reach people like this poor, misguided, and most likely spiritually lost young Ms. Oluni. She and so many others desperately need to hear the truth. And with that, we've reached the end of this episode of the Logical Christian Podcast. If you've made it this far, the odds are you liked what you heard. I'd greatly appreciate a like, a comment, and a review if you're so inclined. As you likely already know, it all helps with the algorithms. Don't forget to subscribe so you can be notified whenever a new episode drops. And finally, if you found this podcast useful or entertaining, share it with your friends, your enemies, your in-laws, your outlaws. If you want to reach me, you can do so at lcpodcast at outlook.com, or increasingly, I'll be using at lcpodcast on Getter. Lawrence J. Peter said, Against logic, there is no armor like ignorance. But Jesus told us that if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. So stay in the word, stay logical, stay faithful, and until next time, God bless.